dear church family, this evening we continue with our Bible study series in the life of Joseph. We're on our seventh study for this evening. In our last study we saw how the Lord in his divine providence brought Joseph into Potiphar's house. And we remember how he came into that house bruised as it were, with that symbolic coat, that coat of many colours stripped from him. He was in that slave market, in that dark Egyptian slave market. So he would have come into that house ragged, as it were, bruised, lonely, as it were. And yet, in the space of ten years, the Lord uh, just reverberated blessing through him. It really, for Joseph, it was the foul presence of the Lord that meant everything to Joseph, to know of the Lord's presence, to know of the, uh, of the Lord close to him and the love of the Lord. And yet through those dark times, those dark providences, it would have been very easy for him just to give up and to become embittered and to become inward thinking and self-absorbed. But we didn't see that with Joseph. We saw a man over ten years really just continue to trust in the Lord, and the Lord was with him, and just everything that he did reverberated God's blessing, and he worked himself up through that house, Potiphar's house, that great estate, not far from Pharaoh, of course, not far from those prophetic dreams that he dreamt so such a long time ago. We also saw how Potiphar's wife sorely tempted Joseph when he had come to that great estate and overseer over Potiphar's house and how every day she sought to advance upon him and that over time Joseph really shined as a great pillar of faith in his uh, standing fast upon the Lord and not giving in to sin and uh, he really he showed us, dear friends, uh, the great blessings of standing for the Lord. Making a stand for the Lord, as Joseph did, as we know, they, dear friends, may cost us something in this life. Bearing our cross daily may cost us what people think of us. May cost us false witness. And for Joseph, it cost him many things. It, co it, cost, him, uh, it cost him being being separated from his beloved father, his grandfather. Um, it's separated from his brethren, from his, his home, from his land. It, it cost him uh, his career. It cost him uh, the comfort of a nice house. It cost him everything. Until, of course, he ended up in that dark Egyptian prison, which, which was hell, really. It was awful. Um, and so, making a stand for the Lord, as Joseph teaches us, may cost us something to varying degrees. And truly the words of Solomon are true in Joseph's life, and really in all our, our lives in this respect, in Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Truly, if you've been walking with the Lord by faith for any time, you'll, you'll know that to be true. Joseph's life had high points and they had low points, a bit like a roller. A, a spiritual roller coaster ride. And surely the high point in his life was when he was converted, when he became a believer. And that's true of all true Christians' high points 
the day of our birth or the season of our birth. It's the high point. And Joseph, we can see from when he was, the early days in which he was converted as a young lad, with the influence of his grandfather, Isaac, who was still in that neighborhood. We know that from, uh, from the scriptural accounts. And the influence of his father being reminded of the great acts of faith and the covenant and promises of God. And he was saved at a young age. He was a, a very godly, responsible young man. And he just was full of uh, faith, which he, we see in those early days. He, he wasn't compromised, even as a young person. We know this was of the Lord. So that was his high point. That's what was Joseph's high point. But then, through providence, the low points came. And Joseph, of course, was despised of his brethren, stripped of that symbolic coat, which was a symbol of God's distinguishing grace upon him and God's covenant and promises upon him and then he was sold and that slave. And then Joseph had high points again because the Lord was with him. And like I mentioned, he, he went up in Potiphar's house. That great that great no part of the nobility really, Potiphar. And whether brought high or 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 again low by God's sovereign hand and dealings Joseph could say, could say, really, with the Apostle in Philippians 4.11, For I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And may this ever be the, the, the cry of God's true children. I have learned through what the Lord has taken me through. And, and, and worldlings will say, why would you want to become a Christian if the Lord is going to take you through such things? Well, because it prepares us for usefulness, for God's glory, for his kingdom, like it did with Joseph. Joseph was being prepared for great usefulness, and all these things work together for good, for God's glory. And uh, in Genesis 40, once again, Joseph is brought low, into the lowest of low, into that Egyptian prison. This is the lowest point now he's brought, he's brought to. And in his low state, Joseph has not forgotten about the grand purposes of his life. And that was, of course, to live for his Lord, for his Saviour, and ultimately to be used for God's glory. And I just, I just wonder if that is all of our heart cry here, that we want to be used. And I know it is, I know it's true, of many of us. But is that true? I want to be used for God's glory. The one who has loved me, who has saved me, and who has given his best to me, he gave his, his best, his only begotten son, for me, to save my soul. To be despised from the day he was born. He was, he was despised and hated and rejected of men. And he gave everything for me to save my soul from hell. He endured punishment of his own father, separation. He did all these things for, to save my never-dying soul. I just wonder if, if that gravity is sung to us. I want to be used to him every day. I want to be so moved because of his love. This, if this has truly happened to us, it really will move us. And of course, I understand, as, as in me and, as, and with us, we can, we can allow the dark circumstances 
of the, the, the pressures of this life to so distract us at times. But we need to be reminded of these things, do we not? In chapter 40, we begin to see more clearly why the Lord is making Joseph to endure these dark provenances, these, these such sufferings as all true believers, all true believers have to go through by certain degrees. The Lord says, through much tribulation we must enter into heaven. And, and that's true. God always proves his all of his true blood will <coughs> And why? Why, you may ask. And I ask, why? Why are these things, Lord? Why, why can't I go in this direction? Why are you taking me back down again? Back down into this low place. I want to be used of there. Well, sometimes we can, we can think, well, why are you taking me back down again, Lord? Why are you taking me in a direction which, which seems opposite to your blessing? Well, because God, often through hard things, hardships, prepares his people for greater instrumentality, greater usefulness for his kingdom. And this is exactly what is made very clear in this chapter in Genesis 40. God is preparing Joseph for a position of great instrumentality and great power. All these trials that Joseph are going through, they're not chance. There's no such thing as luck. They are bespoke. They're custom made specifically for Joseph and for the saving of many, many people. And so, beloved, remember that next time you're brought below. It may be, it may very well be, that the Lord is preparing you for even greater usefulness, even greater instrumentality. God desires fruit from that which the Holy Spirit plants. And this requires us to have faith in the Lord and in His promises. No matter how hard things get at times, no matter how dark and how sometimes we can be cut so severely, and even our loved ones be cut so, so severely, things got really bad, didn't they? Really bad, very quickly for Joseph, once again, as he was unjustly cast into prison. And I was reminded, <laughs> dear brother reminded me of these precious words recently in John, John 13, 7 of the Saviour. And, and they came to mind for this particular study. What I do thou knowest not now, says the Saviour, but thou shalt know hereafter. Such precious words, aren't they? What, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. We don't know everything. We expect to know everything. We expect, we expect to, to, to be gods almost. But, but we must, by faith, just trust in the Lord. Trust that He knows what He's doing. And just resign to that. And just be faithful to the Lord in what He has given us. Our various roles. Roles and responsibilities. And the Lord will take care of the rest. Rest. And this was true of Joseph and his prophetic dreams. As he was to soon encounter two more dreams. Two more symbolic dreams. Two more prophetic dreams, which, in, which were in need of divine interpretation. And no doubt reminding him of his own dreams. When these, these two, the, the, head, the chief butler, the chief baker, came in and they had these 
these disturbing dreams, well, that must have reminded Joseph of those dreams that he had. And maybe they came flooding back to him of those dreams and started to perhaps, uh, he started to perhaps even realise then that God was, God was bringing him closer to, to that aim, as it were. And in Genesis 40, he begins with, it begins really in Genesis 40 with two very influential men being brought into the prison, exactly where Joseph was in, in the prison. And that was the chief butler and the chief baker to Pharaoh, to, to the king. Now friends, it must be said that, that this was not by chance. This is not luck. There's no such thing as luck that the two most important civil servants in the land ended up being under Joseph's oversight. That, that wasn't chance. Verse 4 tells us that it was none other than Potiphar himself that charged Joseph with their oversight. Well, hold on a minute. Wasn't it Potiphar that cast him into prison in the first place? Well, what's happened here? Why is, why is Potiphar now putting Joseph in charge of these butlers, because apparently he, he, uh, he enticed his wife and, and all these things. But why is, it, is Potiphar now, the captain of God, putting Joseph in charge of these two prisoners, this, this, uh, the chief butler and the chief uh, baker? And this tells us that Potiphar probably regretted putting Joseph into prison, and in hindsight, not knowing enough of his adulterous wife's schemes. He perhaps knew a little bit of her character, she probably hid it well, um, but knowing in hindsight that more of her schemes, and perhaps even his estate started to suffer as well, and started to be managed poorly uh, in his departure. And perhaps this was a way of Potiphar really acknowledging his good intentions to Joseph. And without really losing faith to his men and the people in his house. And so Joseph, dear friends, was an innocent man. He was innocent of all these charges put up against him. In this, Joseph once again shows himself to be a picture, a foreshadow, an illustration of Christ in being numbered with the transgressors, as mentioned in Isaiah 53. Well, and of course in Mark's Gospel as well. Joseph was numbered with the transgressors uh, and he bore uh, innocently these things. He didn't complain, he didn't uh, raise up a storm, he, he patiently bore these things and he points to the Saviour in this respect. He points to the greater Joseph. Now friends, we ought to know that the, di the dictators of that day, like Pharaoh, were at times incredibly impulsive men, and perhaps at times even a bit paranoid, and really for good reason, probably because they were very suspicious of being poisoned or plotted against, hence the casting both of these, these civil servants into prison. And we, have to have, have, we don't have to look any further, that scripture, for that... For that uh, for that, warrant, for that credit, we think of Hazael, uh, how he plotted against the king. He was the second in charge. And how he murdered the king in cold blood after he was told that he would be king. 
And so no doubt trust would have been of utmost importance to Pharaoh, especially with those who were in charge of his food and his drink. And one could say that there were few men closer to Pharaoh than these two men. And we think of, uh, we remember people like Nehemiah, the cupbearer, as it were, the chief cupbearer to the Persian king whilst in exile. And how the Lord, through uh, the king, gave him great favour. And the king was willing to open up, Persian kings were willing to open up many doors and give him much favour. And so, you know, the, the people, the, the people in, in charge of his food and in charge of his drink, were the, the, those were the top two roles, or within at least the, the top tier roles, civil servant roles within Pharaoh's government. They're incredibly important roles. And of course, the, the, any uh, king would have been suspicious of the enemies trying to get through them by bribing them or poisoning them or something like that. And so it's fair to say that in that age, these two civil servant positions were incredibly important. And so, and so it happens to be that the Lord made sure to bring them into the place that Joseph was. And again, if Joseph did not go into that prison, he would have never, ever been introduced to these two men. And he would have never, ever been exalted to the Prime Minister of the greatest superpower of that time, Egypt. He would have never been there. So these darkest hours, these darkest years in this prison, God used it uh, for good. God was preparing Joseph during all these times. And so what an encouragement this is to us, dear friends. In dark providences, when circumstantially we really feel stuck in, in, in a long trial, in a long rut, as it were. Joseph was separated for 20 years from his beloved father, from his brethren, from all that he knew in this foreign land for 20 years. And this trial just seemed like it was going on forever, stuck in this rut, as it were. I just say, don't despair. Don't despair. Like Joseph, the Lord can not, not sometimes bring us out, but he can bring other people in. He can provide means to get us out, to help us out. So sometimes we pray for the wrong things, Lord, just please get me out of this. But sometimes the Lord can bring people into our lives, can bring means into our lives to pull us out, to help us in that respect. Even the most unlikeliest of characters. And this is so wonderful how the, the Lord works in a mysterious way like this. And like Joseph, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due seasons we, we, season we shall reap if we faint not. It's, it would, it's so easy for us sometimes to just be full of inward, uh, in, just cast down, and just to, to want to stay at home and just be inward thinking, oh, I don't want to go to church tonight. I don't, I don't want to talk to that person about the Lord. I don't, I just, the things are just all, things around me. But we must see the bigger picture. We must walk by faith and not by sight. Now friends, we, we see next God's providence really unfolding in these dreams that both the butler 
and that they can have both in one providential night. Verses 5 through 19. And of course we know, once again, these dreams were prophetic and they were deeply symbolic as well. In verse 6 through 7, we see something of the before. I'll get to these dreams. In verses 6 through 7, we see something of the very caring heart of Joseph as he sees that both the butler and the baker were sad because of their dreams. And this reminds me of the text in Philippians 2.4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That was Joseph. You know, he was in the lowest of low places. And he was, he was there as an innocent man. He had much to be embittered about, much to be inward about. But we see the opposite. He's trying to, he's trying to get people to open up. He's trying to, he's trying to uh, open up people, open up people's hearts, be approachable. Um, and this shows us, as believers, how we ought to be, how we ought to pray to be. It's so sad when you, when you meet Christians who are so embroiled within their own circumstances that they never have time to minister to others. Never take time to, to care for others, to show hospitality to others, to, to make a phone call, to, to write an email, to perhaps come to church early to help set up the church, to take a keen interest in the spiritual needs of others, to be sensitive to other people's needs around them, to, to make themselves available, as it were, for these grand purposes. And Joseph, even amongst the most severest trials, was a very caring and approachable person, always seeking to draw out the heart needs of others in order to help them. And to, to get people to open up. Like the great physician of souls, Christ, who, who had a keen interest to open up people's hearts and get people to open up and talk to them and understand what they've gone through so that they can apply the word and help them. And so Joseph really shows us here, gives us wisdom on how we are to, to get people to open up, to talk to them, to get to know their background, what they've gone through. You can't, we can't just apply the word if we don't understand someone, we don't understand the sickness, what, what that person's suffering from. It's a great lesson in this, evangelistic lesson in us, here yeah, for us. Is this true of us, friends? Have we the spirit of a, a caring servant, an unprofitable servant? Well, this is, this is what I'm called to do. I'm here to serve. It's not about me anymore. It's not about me. It's about Christ. My life is in Him. This, this is the spirit we ought to have. Or are we often in bitterness, in resentment, because things haven't turned out for us the way we, all, we thought they would turn out for us? And we, could, we can all be guilty. I've been guilty of that. Because things haven't just turned out. My, my dreams, my hopes, even in a spiritual sense we can feel like that. You see, the devil, friends, of course, tempts Christians to be inward-looking, self-pitying, as it were, self-absorbed, which is a form of pride. We must understand that. To be, to be self-pitying is a pride. It's a really, really, it's, it's a terrorist. I, I think, actually, it's one of the worst forms of pride. Self-pity. Because it actually takes people away from the higher purpose. 
It's all about me. It's, 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 it's so selfish. And so we must tell people, well, you know, I feel for you and I pray for you, but, but there's a higher purpose to your life. And of course, we do feel for people in particular that, of course, suffer from these things, but, but we, we must encourage people to serve the Lord and to, to get the bigger picture. Not, not where is me all the time? And, and I, I want the, t- the attention to be focused on my needs and, and what I need. And, and to focus all my your attention and time upon me. Well, no. Christ living for him. That's what we need to focus on. And this almost always, that's the kind of self-pitying, self-absorbed attitude. It almost always, always leads to uh, to one being critical of others and less understanding and less gracious. And once again, Joseph, dear friends, is being prepared for great usefulness as even in his darkest hour he still humbly is ministering and helping others. And this, of course, reminds me of Christ on the cross. Christ there is on the cross enduring the most painful spiritual and physical pain that no man has ever, we will never know the the pain that he has endured on that cross, being punished by his father, separated from the one he has spent eternity past with him. And that wrath and and that punishment being poured upon the innocent one. And uh, And all these things, he's knowing that he's going to endure all these things and he's thinking about his mother. He's thinking about his disciple. Mother, my disciple, disciple, my mother. As it were. Even then, shows us, doesn't it? Joseph and the greater Joseph shows us how we ought to be. Even when we're sick, even when we're trying to have that type of heart. heart. And little did Joseph know that his work of faith would open up a door to him. And it so often does, to be released out of prison and to be exalted to prime minister of the greatest superpower in the world at the time. And so before we look at the substance of these two prophetic dreams and symbolic dreams in verse 9 onwards, it's interesting to note in verse 8, Joseph's giving all the credit to God for these spiritual gifts, which again... There's so many lessons, practical lessons to be learning for Christians. He says, do not interpretations belong to God? It would seem that he is always mindful of God's honour. This is all about God. It's nothing special about me. Interpretations are from God. And if if the Lord has has endowed me and has given me these convictions and these gifts, I'm going to give the glory straight back to him. And that should, of course, be our attitude. Like John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease, as it were. That should always be our attitude. Not, not to point people to ourselves, oh, look, I'm such a great Christian and all these things. In fact, we know the more you grow in Christ, the more we see our vileness. Like Job, I am vile. We, we, we see what God sees and we understand how impoverished and how weak and frail we are. The, you know, if you look at the, the, the children of some of the earliest patriarchs, 
the, the, the meaning of their names, a lot of them were frail, and all these names, and the line of the serpent, of Cain and that, their, their names were very proud names. It just goes to show you their hearts, that, that, that they saw their poverty within, they saw their emptiness within. Now, what are these two dreams, these two prophetic and symbolic dreams? Well, the chief butler first tells, her, tells Joseph his dream in verse 9. He says, Behold, a vine was the latter half of verse 9. Behold, a vine was before me. And verse 10, And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded. And her blossom shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And verse 11, And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Joseph tells the interpretation in verse 19 of that first dream. He says, Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head, and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou was his butler. I don't know if you've noticed in that interpretation of that dream that the grapes were pressed into the cup, Pharaoh's cup. I never picked this up before, but the grapes were, were pressed. So in other words, the, the dream is pressing the grapes into the cup. It was unmixed, in other words. There was no room for poisoning it, <laughs> for suspicion, as it were, which, of course, fits in quite well with the narrative of how the people were acting in those days, suspicious of people poisoning, which, which really meant that actually the butlers, the chief butlers' intentions towards Pharaoh were noble. Uh, he, he respected authority. He, he, he actually respected the king and wanted the best for the king. His intentions were good. And so naturally the chief butler would have been delighted at these at, at these at this news and, and in the spirit of truth in which it was spoken. And so confident is Joseph that this is God's work in him. Perhaps in remembering those dreams, those prophetic dreams he dreamt when he was with his brethren, that he asked the butler in verse 14 to think on him, to think on Joseph. When, he sh when it shall be well with him. Notice that. And show kindness to him, I pray thee. He says, he's so confident that this is going to happen. He's so confident that the Lord is going before him, that the Lord's given him this gift, that he's already pleading with him. Or as, as with a judge, really. You know, this, this, these things are in your hands now. Basically, the Lord has put you here, and the Lord's taken you out. And basically, almost pleading with them, as, as with a judge, you're going to be standing soon before Pharaoh again. Plead my cause, I pray you. And this, this kindness which I've shown you, please remember me. Joseph, in absolute faith, pleads his innocency with the butler, verse 15, as one would do with a judge. This demonstrates to us the absolute faith he had in God's promises and in God's gifts. And how, how we need to, 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 how we should pray for, for the same friends, for this confidence in God's words and His promises. We must pray that if God has promised me something, I'm going to do it, whatever it costs me. I'm going, whatever 
people say about me, they can gossip about me, they can tell me names, they can malign me, they, they can tell even family and friends to, to, to depart from me. Whatever it is, I trust in the Lord's words. And that's what Joseph did. In verse 16, when the chief butler, the baker, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation of the butler was good, he told Joseph his dream, hoping for similar news. So he's thinking, wow, wow, well, I'm going to, if he's going to be brought into the presence of the king, and Joseph, and serve again, what's in it for me? What's, what's going to happen for me? And Joseph tells in verse 16, I had three white, uh, he tells Joseph, sorry, in verse 16, his dream, I had three white baskets on my head. And verse 17, and in the uppermost basket, there was, there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. Joseph, once again, unhesitatingly, interprets the dream without, without, undauntedly does it. He says in verse 18, the three baskets are three days, and in verse 19, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee. Of course, we all know what happened next, don't we? Upon the third day, Pharaoh's birthday, the chief butler was restored to his butlership, and the chief baker was hanged, exactly how Joseph had said. And the accuracy of Joseph's interpretations here, dear friends, was remarkable. But what was even more remarkable than that was Joseph's honesty, his short honesty, at explaining the bad news, face to face, hard things. God gave him the answer, and he gave bad things, hard things, things very difficult to explain, he gave. And the baker had three days, three days to repent, three days to turn from his sin. And what about us, friends? Do we tell people smooth things, nice things, as it were, just easy things, what they want to hear, and we, we should comfort people, don't get me wrong, we should tell them the good news, but do we just say the smooth things, easy things, as it were. What they want to hear, what the flesh wants to hear. Or do we warn people of their never-dying souls and, 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 if it, and, and their accountability towards their maker and the, and, and the great cost that it cost him and the great destruction of sin, how it ruins everything in our lives. Do we tell people about that and about how and the reality of how? We must. Uh, Joseph shows us here, we must, sinners must know that they are indeed sinners, hell-deserving sinners like we all are. They must be convinced of their sin before they can become saints by God's, by God's precious gospel. Joseph undauntedly gave face-to-face -face the full counsel of God, dear friends, not some of it, the full counsel, and so must we, friends. As hard as it is at times, and as difficult as it is, and we can fail the Lord. God, I failed the Lord in this respect. But we must, we must do this. That's the, truly the way that the Lord blesses his gospel. It's not just the good news. People need to understand the sour before they can appreciate the sweet, as it were. If 
we desire to be faithful preachers of the gospel, we would do well to emulate Joseph by the Spirit here. Isaiah 3, 10 through 11 says, Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. It can be a lonely place at times, content for true gospel preachers. We don't half know the heart of a true gospel preacher, because like a, like a prophet in Luke 4.24, I say like a prophet, not a prophet, but like a prophet, they are not accepted in their own country. Not, but often, true gospel preachers will not be accepted in their own familiar circles, as it were. They'll often, they'll often be despised. Why is that? Well, because they warn. Because like Joseph, they give the bad news. Think about Joseph. Every time he stood for the Lord, and he warned people, he warned his brethren, he warned part of his wife, thou art his wife. What are you doing? And he warns you every time it brought him low. It cost him something. And a prophet, the Lord Jesus said they are not accepted in their own country. And this is true. And so we don't know the heart of the heart of true gospel preachers. It can be a very lonely place. But of course, these two dreams are also deeply symbolic, as were the others, as the others were. The butlers offers the king in his dream, that which is, is from God. Have you noticed that? That which is from God. Grapes, a course, and a vine, symbolizing Christ and his blood. These are all symbolic. That which is from heaven, it's, it's, it's the Lord. Of course, is symbolic of the vine, the great vine, and, and the, the grapes being pressed on his blood. And the baker, on the other hand, offers, like Cain, his works, um, of the works of his hand, which he presents in white baskets, as it were. These white baskets, you know, the outward works. So I'm, I'm presenting these white baskets to Pharaoh, as it were. These baked meats, these are the works of his hand. They're baked. They use men's hands. They're not, the, they're not what, what God gives, the, the, the fruit of the vine. These baked meats are from something. He presents them, he dresses them, as it were, dresses them up in white baskets and presents them to Pharaoh, as, as, as it were. And it shows, really, the hypocrisy of the heart of the baker, that he, his heart wasn't right with the, with, with, the, with the Lord. In fact, he was probably in rebellion from, from the Lord. He was caught out, as it were. He was trying to present his works. He was trying to, like a white sepulchre, had an outward form. As, as it were, of religion, but dead bones inside. And so he was presenting that, and that's what many Christians are doing today. Many nominal Christians today are bringing themselves to, to, to the Lord and saying, I'm doing all these things. I'm, you know, I'm white as, I look how white I am. But they're not actually seeing their heart. My, my heart is depraved. And I can't bring any of my righteousness, any of my good works, because my unrighteousness is filthy rags on your side. I wholly depend upon Jesus' name. I wholly uh, put my hands upon the Lamb. I wholly depend upon your salvation. The Lord, our righteousness, you're my righteousness. I don't come and dress up 
as it were, bring my own works, expect to come into heaven by the back door of works. No, no. I come through Christ. I come in dependence utterly upon Him and His finished work on the cross. And so these things, of course, are symbolic, aren't they? They're, they're pictures again here. And of course we know that the baker's dream, in effect, was rejected. Um, and finally, in conclusion, we see Joseph's willingness to go out of his way to interpret these two dreams, to prepare, which really prepares him for interpreting Pharaoh's two dreams later. Do you notice that? They're, this is a preparation for preparing the, the, the king of the greatest superpower at that time, Egypt. Get those dreams wrong in, in front of Pharaoh, and that could be his neck and his head, as, as it were. So this is all preparing Joseph for greater instrumentality, greater usefulness. And alas, in our final verse, verse 23, we are told, are we not, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. A, a, dumb, a double, notice here, a double emphasis is being, being, being said here about Joseph being forgotten. A double emphasis. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgotten. Almost as if the Lord is trying to say here, look at what he's endured. Look, look, look at that, that, look at the, almost pointing to Christ and the greater Joseph. Are we forgetting God in our lives? Are we forgetting him, to love him, to depend upon him? What he's done in our hearts and our lives? If we think about Joseph, what Joseph had to endure, it gives us a picture of, of the how, as it were, the pits that he had to go through, all the wrong accusing. But do we remember our Lord every day, cry to him, and pour contempt upon our pride? Why am I so easily distracted by these vanities, as, as it were? And how can I forget about you again, Lord, for another hour? And after a few days had lapsed, Joseph must have thought, surely the butler did not forget about me. Surely he's at the gates of the prison, the bars, and thinking, surely, surely he's not forgotten about me. And perhaps that can be us at times. The Lord's, the, the Lord's there. Lord, and, and, and we can be so distracted, as it were. The Lord's, surely you haven't forgotten about me again. Surely this sin hasn't got a grip of you again. These vanities, these temporary things. And it can so distract us, can't it? And gradually it, it, it dawns on Joseph, I'm forgotten. Once again, two years have come, gone past. And nothing from this person has personally showed kindness. And the Lord would have showed us such great kindness, such love. And perhaps like David, Joseph said in his heart, like David said in 1 Samuel 27, 1, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. And sometimes we can feel like that, can't we? We just kind of give up. I'm not saying this happened to Joseph or even thought this, but David did, didn't he? Kind of, the, the, the trial can go on so long that we could just kind of just give up. Think, okay, I'm just going to give up now. I'm just going to give up hope, stop praying for this person, stop hoping. As it were. But we mustn't. 
Those two lonely years being forgotten about for Joseph must have been incredibly trying, probably the most trying years. And friends, how do we react when we're forgotten about or when our good intentions to others are so abused? When, we, when our, our intentions are good but they are so maligned, how do we react? Do we begin to become inward-facing, distrustful, as it were? Do we... Do we so, no, we, we, we should continue to be like Joseph and the greater Joseph. We continue to love, we continue to help souls and continue to show grace. And after all, has not Christ done so much for us, friends? So we, should, we, we continue to show grace and love. We don't, we don't say, well, this person has forgotten about me, this person, and we think, I'm, I'm never going to trust this person again. We kind of put up the guards, as it were, and say, no more. Now, I've been hurt too many times. But no, we just continue to do, to do as our Savior did, and love, and show grace, uh, and mercy, and compassion. Friends, if we're honest with the Lord, how Joseph was treated, we, we can treat the Lord like as well. We can all. We can all treat the Lord like that. We can daily forget what it cost Christ to suffer and die for our sins, when we were tempted, when we when we've tempted to, when we're tempted to sin and take our ease, we can we can often forget about the Lord's suffering and dying for us. And perhaps a gentle challenge in closing: How would we live every day if we made a concerted effort to pour out our hearts before the Lord in remembering the cost of our salvation? How would we live our lives every morning? So just perhaps a a little challenge for us, a spiritual challenge. Every day, wake up and just pour out your heart before the Lord uh, and, re and remembering what it cost you. Let me never forget. And surely that's where we have the Lord's Supper communion. We remember that, don't we? With the, the felt presence of there with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit sanctifying it and making it real to our hearts. And we, He's there and we remember this one who lives. We should do this every day. And this, dear friends, will stop us. This, this will prevent so much complacency in our, in our hearts. I'll tell you something, we would be far less critical if this was the case of others. And far more helpful to Christ's kingdom if, if we did this every day. So just a little challenge there. And so when we are rejected by this world, and yet even at times by love lines, let us never forget that if we're in Christ, we'll never be forgotten, we'll never be rejected, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. The wonderful thing this is. The thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me, remember me, didn't he, did he not? And the Lord said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And of course, he wasn't expecting to be saved, all glory, but the Lord gave them both. And just like these two thieves, just like those two, two thieves, the butler and the baker, are really representatives of these two thieves. Um, we see one exalted to be with the king, Pharaoh, and the other unrepentant, as it were, to face the king's wrath on the tree. So again, we see here that symbolic of that. And finally, in closing, uh, I'll close with Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her suckling child 
that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget. The Lord will never forget us, dear friends. Um, and so once again, let us take heart that amidst all these trials, like Joseph, that we're going through, God is preparing us. He may very well be preparing you for great usefulness, great instrumentality. And we must always look to the sovereign hand of the Lord, like Joseph, and click and keep very close to him. Amen.